So in our series through Genesis, the focus has turned from Abraham to his son Isaac. And last week we looked at what I think is the original romance story, all right? So if you look at Genesis chapter 24, you should go, if you haven't read it, you should go back and read it. It's 67 verses, but it's like the original romance novel, all right? So before Romeo and Juliet, there was Isaac and Rebecca, all right? So here's what kind of happens. Um, if Adam and Eve were the original love at first sight story, Isaac and Rebecca would have to be the second, which is what you would see here. What happens is... Abraham's servant takes a command to go and find a wife for Isaac. And so he puts his hand under the thigh, just like this is how Lucas, we were, he was making an argument in Staff Sync that this is how we are to make covenants with one another now. So uh, if you want to get more explanation, he would love to help you understand that after the service. But he places hand under the thigh, just showing like a deep commitment to what he's about to go do. He goes, he prays that God would give um, a wife to Isaac. And as he brings back Rebecca, the woman that he finds that God has provided in an answer to his prayer, um, as they are coming to Isaac, Rebecca sees Isaac off from a distance. Her response to this servant of Abraham is, who is that man? Like she likes what she sees, right? And the response to that is after he says, that is my Lord Isaac, she puts the veil over her face. And then what we see is like Isaac is into Rebecca too, right? And so it's like love at first sight. And so you see this, you should go read it because it's just, it's awesome. I love it, all right? So you see all this happen. And before Moses just continues on with the rest of the story, Abraham's been so integral to what is, the Lord's been doing over the course of redemptive history throughout Genesis that he looks and he pauses and he stops to reflect on the end of Abraham's story. And so what we see here is the patriarch's death. If Abraham is the patriarch of the faith, then we see his death here. And we see two things, all right? We see that God keeps his promises. And then we see, also see, second, that Abraham finishes his life well, all right? So that's what I just want to unpack for us tonight. I want to unpack that how God has kept his promises to Abraham. And then I want to look at how Abraham has finished well. And then I want us to end by wrestling with the question, how? How does Abraham finish well? Because I think it's really important for us too, all right? So we're going to try to do this in 20 to 25 minutes. You ready? You ready? Yeah, I got claps, all right? Let's go. You're like, I know how long Josh usually goes. Let's, hurry, let's ramp it up, all right? Here we go. God keeps his promises, all right? We see two primary promises that God keeps in this particular passage. First, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, all right? Here's what Genesis 17, 4 says. This is God speaking to Abraham. As for me, here's my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. In that passage, God actually changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many. He's forecasting exactly what's going to happen in Abraham's life. So we see this come to fruition. I'll point that out here in a second. Second promise we see, Abraham would be buried at a good old age. Genesis 15, 15 says, but you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in this passage, we see that God keeps his promises. 
We see that God makes Abraham a father of many nations through the bookends of this passage. So I didn't read these for you, but I'm going to unpack them for us, all right? So at the very beginning, verses 1 through 4, what we find is that Abraham, after the passing of Sarah, remarries to a woman, Keturah. And here's what verses 1 through 2 say. Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. All right? So here's what happens. All right? Abraham has these additional sons, these six sons that are born to him. These become Arabic nations. These six sons become Arabic nations. One of them you would probably recognize if you know the Bible or been around the Bible for a little while. Midian may have stuck it out to you because that's where Moses, the author of Genesis, finds his wife, Zipporah, after he flees Egypt. All right? So we see these. these this comes back up. So God is keeping his promise as he remarries. Abraham remarries Keturah, has six sons. These become Six Arabic nations. The text ends with the family records of Ishmael. So if you remember, Ishmael is the son that Abraham has with Sarah's uh, slave, which is Hagar. She is from Egypt, okay? And so what we see in verses 12 through 18, Ishmael lives to be 137 years Old, and then he was gathered to his people. That's the phrase that the terminology that's used here and what they're speaking about is he's gathered back to the Egyptians. He's gathered back and he's buried with his ancestors. But as we look at that passage, there's 12 tribes that come from Ishmael and they are all near Egypt. So what God is doing, he's keeping his promise that he's making Abraham a father of many nations. God is keeping his promises here. But he also keeps his promise that Abraham will die at a good old age. We see in verse 7 that Abraham lived 175 years. In verse 9, we see that Abraham is buried with Sarah in the cave that he purchased in Genesis chapter 23. So instead of returning back to where they came from to bury Sarah with their ancestors, Abraham works out a deal. He buys a cave in the land that God has promised and in that cave, he buries his wife. And then listen how Moses characterizes Abraham's death in verse 8. He took his last breath and died at a good old age. Exact same phrasing of what we see in Genesis chapter 15. So again, God keeps his promise to Abraham. So here's our takeaway, all right? God always keeps his promises, God is faithful, and you can fully trust him. Now, here's, if you've been here in recent weeks, here's probably what you're, you're thinking. Josh, you've said that like three to five times in the last however many sermons you've done. And I have. And here's why. Because that's God's takeaway for us from these passages, all right? So as I was wrestling with this this past week, I was like, I, I need something fresh. I can't keep coming and telling these people the exact same thing over and over again. But guess what? That's the purpose of the Bible. Is that God continues to tell us the same thing over and over and over again. Here's a communication principle that's been told to me way back when. You've probably heard it yourself. 
that you as a communicator, when you get tired of saying it, people are just beginning to hear it. All right? Look, the chief proclaimer of the gospel and the truth of God's word to you is the Holy Spirit. You know what the close second is? You. So here's what you need to take away from. As you're looking at this passion, it's like, why, why can't God tell me something different? It's because you need to be preaching the good news that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises, that you can trust him. And look, when you get tired of saying it, your head and heart are just beginning to hear it. You need to listen to the passage that we're looking at tonight that we've looked at, the same takeaway that we've looked at three to five times before this. And look, you need to get it into your head and your heart. One of the biggest struggles that you will have in your life is believing that God is actually for you, that you can trust him, that he's going to come through for you, and you have to repeat that message to your head and your heart repeatedly. That's what Christian faith looks like. You keep telling yourself the good news over and over, and when you're just beginning to get tired of it, your head and your heart, maybe you're just hearing it. You with me? All right, so God keeps his promises. We need to be constantly Preach it. The Holy Spirit's preaching this to you as you open up the scriptures through community, through everyday life. But look, you got to join him in the work. That's the invitation. You join him in reminding yourself the good news that God is faithful, that you can trust him, and he always keeps his promises. So that's what we see here first. Secondly, we see that Abraham finishes well. We see this in verses 5 through 6, all right? Abraham perseveres in faith until the end. Here's where I'm getting this. Verse five, Abraham gave everything he owned to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of his concubines. And while he was still, this is his wife Keturah that he had after Sarah. And while he was still alive, he sent them eastward. This is in the scriptures talking about as you are sent eastward, it means you're sent away from the place of the promise. You're sent away from the presence of God, meaning he's sending them away so that they are not a threat to the promise that is to be fulfilled through Isaac. That's what's happening here, all right? Sent them eastward away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. So here's two things you need to notice, all right? Abraham gave everything he owned to Isaac, that's the first thing that should stick out to you. And then secondly, Abraham sends his other sons away while he is still alive. This isn't something that he tells a servant to do after he's passed away, so he removes the hard thing that he needs to do in his life. Rather, he's the one that does it. He, gives, he provides for them, he gives a gift, and he's trusting that the Lord is gonna bless them as he sends them away, but he is faithful to the Lord, all right? So here, this is Moses' way of reporting these two things, that he gives everything to Isaac and that he sends his other sons away. This is Moses' way of reporting to us that until the very end, Abraham believed God's promises. That's what is happening here. 
Abraham is declaring through not just his head and his heart, but also through his actions that he believes God's promises to him in his life. Verse 8 backs this up. He says this. Is that we already looked at the first part, but let's look at the, the second part. He took his last breath, and he died at a good old age. Listen to this. Old and contented, and he was gathered to his people which that should ring a bell after what we just talked about with Ishmael. So God's people and God's promise that the world's redeemer will come through Isaac. We see that Abraham is planting his flag and his belief in that promise. And then we see what happens in verse eight. He dies old and contented, gathered to his people. Here's what these two phrases mean, all right? Old and contented means that Abraham enjoyed his life, yet he was ready to leave it. He enjoyed his life, yet he was ready to leave it. Okay, a couple of pastors that I was reading as I was trying to understand this passage is uh, last week. Uh, one past, one present, both say the same thing, that this points to Abraham's perseverance in the faith. Generally, as people get older, this is generally speaking, it doesn't mean for everybody, but generally speaking, as people get older, two things happen. They're wearied by life, Yet at the same time, as their life is coming to a close, they are desperately clinging to it. They're doing everything they can to hold on. And what these two pastors say is that Abraham's life ends differently. And in what it shows, he, he's, he's enjoyed it, but yet he's not like clinging to it. He's not like this desperation of like what's going to happen next. He's ready to leave it. And what these two pastors say is this shows the lifelong work of God in his life. He dies old and contented. This isn't saying that he's contented because he's accumulated a lot of things. What these pastors are trying to articulate is that God has done a long time work on Abraham's life that as he is about to leave this life, he's satisfied not in the things of this world, but in God. He's old and he's contented. Secondly, that he's gathered to his people. So the same phrase that was used of Ishmael, but it has a different meaning. So with Ishmael, it means that he was gathered to his earthly ancestors, the Egyptians, but for Abraham, it means that he's gathered to his spiritual ancestors because Abraham is not buried with his ancestors, his earthly ancestors. He is not taken back to the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, but he is buried with Sarah in the cave in Machpelah near Mamre that he bought in the land of promise. And so how Jesus articulates this back in the Gospels is that he says, I am the, he's speaking of God here, God has articulated this, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen to this. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So what is happening here is God gathers Abraham to himself and brings him to the land of the living. He's not a part of the dead, but he's a part of the land of the living. And so the only people that are reserved the right to enter into the land of the living are those that have exercised faith until the end 
in Jesus Christ. This is what he says in Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. He's talking about those who have trusted in me for the forgiveness of their sins and nobody else Only in me, they will be gathered up into the land of the living. They'll be brought into the place where God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so we see that Abraham, he ends well because he perseveres to the end. He's satisfied and he's contented in God, not in earthly possessions, and we see that he's gathered up to the people of God and not just to his earthly ancestors. The only place, the only way that's possible is through faith and belief in Christ. He, he's ended well. He's persevered to the end. All right, so this is what Christians of old have called the quality of fortitude. Fortitude. Here's my favorite definition. It's short. J.I. Packer says, fortitude is courage with endurance. Fortitude is courage with endurance. It's a tough faith. This is what courage is talking about. It's a tough faith that goes to the long haul. You see that? All right, so um, I think a really helpful pastor in this is uh, Eugene Peterson. Anybody heard of Eugene? Okay, so here's what he says, all right? So when we think about uh, faith, I don't, we don't usually think about tough faith. What we usually think about is faith that thrives in the times of the good. If, if you don't believe me, then whenever the hard times hit, you're often like, well, why is God doing this to me? Why isn't, why isn't everything going my way? But what we actually see over the course of human history is that Christian faith actually thrives in hardship. And God uses hardship in order to bring us further along in our growth of faith, all right? So here's how Eugene uh, brings the question about this idea of tough faith. He says, do you think of Christian faith as a fragile style of life that can flourish only when weather conditions are just right? Or do you see it as a tough perennial that can stick it out through storm and drought, survive the trampling of careless feet and the attacks of vandals. Look, that's the historic faith and belief of the saints of the scriptures. It's not just those that can remain in faith and belief in Jesus in the good times, but what we actually see is the faith, the roots of their faith grow deeper in their life through the hardship. And so it's a courage, it's a tough faith that goes through the hardships of life and it endures, which is what we see in the second part of that definition, that it endures, all right? Here's what you need to understand, though. Endurance does not mean perfection. Here's what Eugene Peterson says again. It does not mean perfection. It means that we keep going. So let me put this together. We see fortitude in Abraham, all right? We see faith. We see faith in Abraham. Remember back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God comes and he interrupts Abraham's life. He calls him to leave everything and to go to an unknown place and that God would bless him in that unknown place. What do we see? We we see that Abraham has faith in God. 
He picks up his family and he leaves his home. He follows God's command and obedience. And the response is that God moves forward him and blessing him. This is God's kindness to him. It's not Abraham earning. It's God fulfilling his promise. But what happens at the end of Genesis chapter 12? A famine hits. He flees. He goes to Egypt. He lies about Sarah being his wife. He says that Sarah is his sister. And we see that he's not showing this belief and faith that we just saw in the previous story. He's imperfect. You know what happens though? He repents. He turns back to the Lord. We see this over and over in Abraham's life. That's what fortitude is. All right? There's times where there's great faith, this exercise, but yet at the same time, you are going to fall. The response to that is that you repent. You pick it back up. Like you, you keep going with the Lord. You keep going in the direction that you're headed. You turn away from the, the disobedience and you come back to Jesus. You're turning back to Jesus. This, that's fortitude. That's what's happening here, right? So the question has to be, well, then how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we, how do, we do that in this life? What does it look like? Well, I think you go to the book of Hebrews. You go to the book of Hebrews, all right? We've been looking back to Hebrews pretty regular, regularly um, as we look at, looked at the life of Abraham. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 says this, For yet in a little while the coming one will come and not delay. All right, so what he's saying is, look, Jesus is coming back. What the Bible often tells us is that we live at the end times. We live in the end times when Jesus is coming back. Hebrews chapter 11, we get the hall of faith. Most of the, the person that gets the most devoted verses in Hebrews chapter 11 is our boy Abraham, all right? They're looking at the faith that Abraham has exercised in his life. Then Hebrews chapter 12 comes around, and here's what it says. Verse 1, you're going to know this, all right? Like think Tim Tebow like, would put this on his eyes. He says, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, you remember that, that passage, right? This large cloud of witnesses. And then the author calls us to run with, the, uh, run with endurance the race of life that lies before us. That's the end of verse one. And then the author, what he's doing, he's painting this picture of like a marathon for us, all right? So Jesus is coming back. The, com the comforter is coming back. We live in the end times. You have a large cloud of witnesses that have exercised faith in this life. And what the, the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us is he's like, you're in the final stretch. You're in the end times. So you're in the final stretch of the, the race. I used to run cross country. What happened at the very end? You had this long line where people would line up on either side of the aisle and you'd run through it to try to get to the finish line. The large cloud, the large cloud of witnesses are those that are on the finish line. They're lined up on the finish line and the crowd is cheering you on, all right? This is the cloud of witnesses, all right? And so here's how Hebrews tells us what it looks like to live for a faith of fortitude. Verse two, keeping our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what he's saying, the way that you live a life of fortitude is actually complete dependence on Jesus. Absolute dependence on Jesus. Look, keeping your eyes on Jesus means that you never look to anyone or anything else besides Jesus. He's the one that your eyes are fixated on. As you're coming down the line, your eyes are fixated on Jesus and the one that can bring about all the promises and purposes that have been promised to you in this life through God. He's the one that can bring them about. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's the one that founded it. We look to the one that founded our faith. He's the one that went forward before us. He's the one that perfects our faith, which means he's the one that actually brings us home, all right? So how do you get through the trials and temptations of this life? You look to Jesus. How do you endure the hardship in this life? You look to Jesus. No one else, nothing else. Your eyes are fixated on Jesus. Who's the one that brings you home? It's Jesus. As you're in the final stretch and you're, man, there's so many times in those cross country, I felt like my legs were gonna give out. My body was just overwhelmed with exhaustion. Look, here's the picture of what fortitude almost always looks like as you're in the midst of it. Here's the picture. That's it. That's what it looks like. At the end of the marathon, your legs have given out. You're not, you're not trying to live like Abraham. You're not trying to say, if I could just have a faith like Abraham. That's not the purpose of the story. It's actually trying to point out the object of your faith. The strength of the object of your faith. Not your faith, the object of your faith. And so look, as you have your gaze set on Jesus, what you're gonna find is that Jesus is often the one that's carrying you across the finish line. That, that's what it looks like. Fortitude, look, she's endured, right? She's at the end. She's, she's gone through the trials of the race, but it's Jesus that carries her across the finish line. Look, that's what it looks like. Here, here's an, like a kind of a, a bit like a not nice way to say it maybe. <laughs> maybe a little bit more like a blunt way. It's not about you. It's actually all on Jesus. He's, he's the one that takes you in his arms and brings you across. Can you like <laughs> just a collective exhale, right? Because <sighs> here's what, the pressure's on Jesus and it's not on you. Isn't that good news? Uh, oftentimes it's gonna, like what you see with Abraham, yeah, he's old and he's contented, he's satisfied. Look, that's over 175 years of work that's been done on his life. And as he's gathered and he's collected, he's had a lot of times he's looked like that picture. You're gonna feel it too. The beauty of the good news of Jesus 
is that he's the perfecter of your faith, which means he's going to bring you all the way home. So you don't turn to someone else. You don't turn to something else. You stay with Jesus. Or more importantly, (laughs) he keeps you with him. Let's end with one story, all right? There's this lady, Mabel. Um, She was an 89-year-old woman. So in the grand scheme of things, pretty old life, right? Yet she was blind. She was deaf. She was disease-ridden. And then she had been bedridden for 25 years. And there was a, a pastor that knew this woman pretty well. And so as she was in the final days of her life, he went and sat with her and talked with her and just asked her some questions. And so he asked her as she was passing these lonely days and nights, what he, he asked, what are you thinking about? She says, I think about Jesus. The pastor says, what do you think about Jesus? And here's what she says that will be on the screen. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been, I mean, this is a woman talking, she's blind, she's deaf, disease-ridden, been on her deathbed, or on, uh, been bedridden for 25 years. I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life. You know, I'm, I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Did you hear that with Abraham, <laughs> right? Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks wouldn't think I'm kind of a, would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. Like, sitting with a woman of that age, it's like, oh my gosh, what a precious faith, right? Promises of God being kept. She's satisfied, ending well. And here's what the pastor concluded about Mabel. Mabel had power. Maybe in our terms, Mabel had fortitude. The kind of power and fortitude Paul prayed that the Ephesians might have, power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's God's desire for you. Be satisfied in me. I keep my promises. End well. Look to no one else but me. I'll bring you across the finish line. That's your charge tonight. Look to no one else. He's faithful. You can trust him. Become a skilled preacher of that good news to your head and your heart. Turn to no one else. Let's pray.